and Yong. Welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today, I'm joined by returning guest, Jason B. Edwards from the Ruin My Life podcast. Jason, was season one the last time you were on? Yeah, season one, I think episode four. I remember talking about yeah. the banana grabber a whole lot, so whenever that happens, I've... Yeah, so, so this is this is like the biggest gap between <laughs> uh, between returns, I think. The prodigal son um, has returned. <laughs> this episode is uh, season three, episode ten, Faking It. Um, it was broadcast on Friday, the 10th of February, 2006. This is the first of four episodes which were broadcast on that Friday. <laughs> um, yeah, for some reason, Fox had been broadcasting it on Mondays, but for this particular time, they decided to put all four episodes out on a Friday, uh, showing how much uh, faith that they had in this particular show. Uh, obviously, in the previous episode, I mentioned that actually Mitch Hurwitz had got the, the call to, to say that they were cancelled before they started doing episode nine. So as they were making episode nine, they knew they were cancelled. So for these final four episodes, they knew that they weren't coming back. Uh, and I think some of that shows in the amount of plot that just mm -hmm. gets thrown at the wall um, in, in these last four episodes. Um, this episode was written by Dean Law Ray, I'm going to say, is how you say his <laughs> name, and Chuck Tatham, uh, both of whom have written a number of episodes um, up to now. Um, uh, I think, no, actually, I lie when I say Dean Laurie has written a number of episodes because this is his only credit uh, on the show, though he had been, you know, credited as a producer. He um, he later went on to uh, work on um, the film Jason Goes to Hell. That that was a very traumatic uh, uh, video box to see in the rental store, the Blockbuster, when I was very young. Because, as you may yeah. have noticed, my is name that... is Jason. Oh, yes, yeah. And I, and I, oh, and I so, saw that wow. once, and I was like, maybe seven or eight, like, old enough to kind of grasp what it was, <laughs> but not fully. And it really, I don't know what, what it, I don't know what I thought it meant or what it, sort of impact it had on me, but it was really upsetting to see. I've spoken about Chuck Tatham before. He wrote Making a Stand. He'll write uh, Development Arrested, which is the final episode, uh, for which he won an Emmy. Um he later went on to write on How I Met Your Mother and uh, back to you, if you remember that, the uh, the one season wonder with Kelsey Grammer playing a news anchor. Um, <laughs> I know, no, as crazy no, as it nothing, sounds. No, nothing yeah, it, <laughs> I think it lasted like 13 episodes and it was done. Uh, the Ellen Show, which of course is the, uh, you know, the, the daytime show with Ellen and Less Than Perfect, which I've spoken about before because um, I think the last episode Chuck was a writer on I... I mentioned that, um, and it was directed by uh, Lev Lev. I don't know why I'm struggling with these names. By Lev L Spyro, um, who uh, I think this is this is definitely not his first episode uh, for the show. Uh, this is his second and final episode for the show. Uh, interestingly enough, he is married to uh, Melissa Rosenberg. Um, who is the writer of the Twilight films? <laughs> really? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he later worked on uh, My Name is Chris and... Um, uh, sorry, My Name is Chris. Everybody Hates Chris. Uh, Weeds, uh, Do-Over, The O.C. Um, yes, Melissa Rosenberg, in addition to uh, to being um, the, the writer for uh, Twilight... Um, she also had um, um, she she also wrote on the OC along with uh, Lev Spiro. Um, you know he was he like directed some episodes of that and wrote some episodes. Um, and uh, she she also wrote for uh, Dexter as well. <laughs> so, 
so it's a real power Melissa couple. Rosenberg has had, yeah, she's had a very kind of interesting career. Like you know, um, of course, most recently she's she's now known as uh, for being the showrunner for Jessica Jones. Oh right, yeah, I uh, completely blanked on that. Well, so she yeah, came back around. So, yeah, she's doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's she's doing okay. So you know, there you go, a celebrity couple um, <laughs> on the show. Uh, I'm going to read you the summary as it was summarized on NPR. Um, NPR have this page. I think I should mention it here because you know um, I don't think I've actually mentioned it before. But if you go to NPR, they have like a, a uh, if you go to npr.org/slash/arrested-development. <laughs> They have like a, a little, a little thing that lets you go to all the different running gags. Uh, it has like a very kind of complex chart and it lets, it lets you know where it like different recurring jokes are, um, in different episodes and stuff. So, uh, it's really fun to kind of just click on different ones. Um, you know, if you've watched the show as much as me, you can just see, you know, a, a joke being repeated in a number of different episodes and kind of remember each time that joke a- a- occurs. So on there, they have these really good summaries. So I've decided to use that one for this. Uh, it's quite long, uh, and it goes as follows. George Sr. hires a new attorney who asks the Bluths to participate in a mock trial to help them prepare for the real thing. The attorney gets actor Judge Reinhold to preside over the mock case. Meanwhile, Buster fakes a coma to get out testifying, and George Michael and Maybe participate in a mock wedding to entertain hospital patients. Back at the office, Michael discovers that he may have a long-lost sister named Nellie Blue. Now, there are a few storylines there that basically start in this episode and (laughs) in the space of three episodes are resolved completely. Um, One of which is the Nellie Blue stuff. That isn't completely resolved until the very final episode. Um, But they they kind of start to resolve stuff in a couple of episodes' time about that. And, of course, Buster goes into this coma for the next few episodes. (laughs) Um, which I love the description of it being a light to no coma, <laughs> which is which is such a, a great kind of description from a doctor who clearly just wants like to get paid for whatever's going on, um, and he kind of makes it clear as such uh, in the episode. Um, and we get the return here um, of Franklin, uh, Franklin Delano Bluth, who is finally in the system as Job celebrates, um, and, and that's probably and now. It's worth noting as well that one of the guest stars for for this episode is uh, Carrie Preston, um, in in a kind of a very early role. Uh, of course, uh, she's married to uh, Michael Emerson, uh, better known as Ben Linus on Lost. And <laughs> the weirdest thing is, on Lost, she played his mother, um, and their husband and wife. And she also turned up on um, Person of Interest, playing his his love interest. Uh, interesting enough, but she's probably best known for being on True Blood. Um, she, her, in the first season of True Blood, her um, lover was the person who was murdering vampires. Spoiler alert for <laughs> season one of True Blood. Uh, there, <laughs> um, uh, but she, she was, uh, she was on pretty much the entire run of that show. Um, uh, I, I think she's on like seventy-six out of eighty episodes of True Blood, and yes, there was eighty episodes. <laughs> Of that true can't blood. be true. Uh, no, they, they, oh, it definitely is true because I remember wow. watching all eighty of them. Oh. Uh, yeah, so she's been married to Michael Emerson since nineteen ninety eight. So they're coming up on like nineteen years of marriage. Um, you know, uh, and so I mean, I I mostly know her from um, uh, from from Lost. Uh, that you know, the couple of episodes that she was in, and of of course 
later on True Blood. Um, she was, she's also uh, been on, on a, a few episodes of The Good Wife, uh, as well as Person of Interest, and um, she's going to be in the spin-off from The Good Wife called The Good Fight. Um, so she's, if you look at you know her film, you know filmography, she's been in quite a lot of stuff um, going back quite a while, uh, including wonderful films like Mercury Rising and uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance. And let's not forget the 2004 remake of The Stepford Wives. I was just about to say that one too. Yes, yes. <laughs> universally um, beloved. And um, actually, interestingly enough, there is a film that she was in, uh, which I I saw when it was at the cinema, um, and. I, to my knowledge, I don't think it's been ever released on DVD. Uh, it, it was a, a film called Towelhead, um, which was, uh, I think, directed and adapted by Alan Ball um, from a from a novel, um, um, and that I think was obviously where you know um, Alan Ball first met uh, Carrie Preston. Obviously, that's probably one of the reasons why she got cast in uh, in True Blood. Um, but I, I just, it's so odd, that film, um, because it also has like Aaron Eckhart and Tony Collette. And I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know why uh, the music was done by Thomas Newman as well, who did the music for American Beauty. So there's like a, a few people from like American Beauty also involved in that. Um, but I don't think Alan Ball has actually, since that moment, he's basically been, um, he's been a, a writer for, you know, obviously True Blood. And then uh, he was a producer on Banshee. And uh, so he, you know, he hasn't directed another film. So that just this is the only <laughs> film he's directed like 10 years ago. And obviously before that, he was, you know, he was best known for, for Six Feet Under. Um, but interestingly, he also wrote for uh, Grace Under Fire and Sybil. Uh, so <laughs> he's had a very varied career, Alan Ball has. I'm basically um, falling down a yeah. Wikipedia hole in real time as you read these things <laughs> off. And I try to keep up with you. This is, what a, what a, a yeah. Strange career Alan Ball has had. Going from like Grace Under Fire and Sybil to like, you know, Six Feet Under and True Blood, it's that is such a, a weird kind of turn to take. Uh, but I also should mention I love Banshee. They're probably one of my favorite shows of the last kind of uh, decade at least. Um, such a, you know, such a kind of, a, a kind of different type of show. Uh, a lot of people getting punched, <laughs> a lot of people having sex while getting punched, a lot of sex punching, a lot of punch sexing. It's, uh... <laughs> listen, stop right there. It's... I'm sold. You've, you've made the pitch. You've landed your, your audience. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, that's just a little bit about some of the guests. Obviously, we've got some returning guest stars here. Uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, Bronwyn Masters makes her debut as Nurse Julia Adelaide, but she had previously been, uh, um, in a thoroughly polite dust-up. <laughs> you know, like the, the kind of the, the fake British war film alongside, uh, Tony Hale, who had a, a huge prosthetic chin. <laughs> Um, for that particular kind of role. So, uh, you know, and obviously we get the return here of Wayne Jarvis, um, who later on gets to utter... A, there's two very kind of clever references in, in this particular episode that I really like, and he gets to throw a, a Blue Velvet reference out there later on in the show. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, Judge Reinhold as Judge Reinhold... <laughs> Um, you know, such a, such a, uh, we get a cameo as well from Bud Court, which I don't think is quite as funny, but, <laughs> um, and we'll talk a little bit about William Hung once we actually get to the, the kind mm. of the stuff that takes place in the jury, because that's an interesting person to talk yeah. about. But, uh, yeah, so there we go. The show starts with Michael receiving a witness list and probably, <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I've noticed that basically the, the you know, like uh, a lot of the characters have, I, I mean, it's, it sounds terrible to say have become one note, 
but there are, but by this point there are a lot of kind of things that characters did that just became their divine, defining trait um and with um Tobias it, it kind of towards the end of the mm. third season they did kind of start to lean a bit more on the sexuality joke this episode is particularly full of those jokes one in particular which is kind of like the most obvious thing they've done apart from like the first two episodes <laughs> where they basically had people saying Tobias is gay um, but one here is where um, George Senior asks if there are any blabbers on the witness list. And, of course, Michael says... Well, they've got one guy who won't be talking. That is, unless there's a hand inside of him. Of course, <laughs> Tobias responds by saying... Oh, please, Michael, even then I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a, a very kind of stark visual that you get there. But And I think the thing is, like, with lesser actors, I don't think that joke would really work. I think it'd be a bit kind of, like, distasteful. But I think David Cross's selling of that line is kind of what makes it kind of just the way that he like he's not even really being addressed and he, he just kind of says it kind of volunteers this information um and i like how michael kind of dismisses him by saying that's reassuring <laughs> as if as if this scenario was going to come up and of course we find out that franklin has returned and um <laughs> and i like i like that job is happy that he got him in the system yeah I, I just love the the way he phrases it by saying he is redyed, rested, and ready to work. Uh, you know, which of course calls back to the fact that um, Job accidentally <laughs> washed him and turned him white um, a number of episodes ago. Um, and there's actually a couple of cutscenes from this episode, and the first of which is here, where um, you know Michael talks about Franklin, and uh, Job actually <laughs> says something which is quite cruel because he says that he adopted Franklin. And of course, Michael is like, well, you know, why? Because he he goes, you know, I you gave me the money for it. And of course, Michael is like, I thought that money was for you to adopt Steve Holt, you know, your real son. And, and Job just delivered this line where he's like, oh, yeah, he'd really love that. And it's just. <laughs> well, see, he calls him like, oh, Mr. I wanted I want a father or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And as he finishes that line, you can kind of quietly hear him go. Actually, that's quite sad. When you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what kind of sells that line. But I, I love here because this is possibly my favorite little bit of business that they do in the entire show. Um, and it, it plays on the DVD menu. So I've seen it hundreds of times. Um, where he says, I've got to, I've got to tell Franklin. And Job goes off screen and Michael goes, I think he meant get Franklin. And as Buster says, am I on the list? And, you know, Michael says, we all are. You hear off screen, <laughs> Job going, I can guess what. <laughs> and I just love that he's in a room by himself with a puppet and yet he's talking to it. And it's just such a great joke because obviously, and, and Jason Bateman gives this great look kind of to the side of camera where he can hear this coming from <laughs> as if he doesn't believe that Job has kind of done this. It's fantastic how committed Job is to the fiction of Franklin when he's such a terrible ventriloquist yeah he, that he's... is this episode is great for bad, bad ventriloquism basically <laughs> isn't it I just, I just love it i I love how well when he returns we'll we get a bit of business as well but um and this is where we get the start of buster's coma storyline where um <laughs> buster says i don't know anything and lucille says he hasn't heard anything from me and they both start talking over the top of each other. <laughs> and as they finish, Michael goes, Well, you both certainly act innocent. Um, and then, of course, we, we get a flashback where you, you hear Lucille talking about how, um, you know, George Sr. has asked her to go all the way to Fallujah, <laughs> uh, which she interprets as a sex act. Um, and 
you know, while Buster pretends to snore, she yells faker at him, which is something that, you know, a few members of the family will start yelling at people. Um, and <laughs> at this particular point, Job re-enters, just hearing Michael say they've put an end bluth <laughs> on the witness list. And I love how he says, Oh, that doesn't stand for what a thing stands for. Whoa, I did not say that. Michael has to point out that his mouth moved and his hand <laughs> didn't. Um, which, you know, basically everything required in ventriloquism, the very basics of it, he's just got completely wrong. He isn't even he isn't even moving the mouth of the puppet, basically. Was he this bad when we last saw Franklin? Was, was Job this... Uh... Incompetent as a ventriloquist? No, actually, like, he was never a great ventriloquist, because obviously he's not meant to be, no, but no. he at least got the basics of moving Franklin's mouth, but, uh, you know, occasionally his own mouth would move, and he would kind of more talk out the side of the mouth than, than do, like, proper, like, ventriloquism. But he was at least more competent than this. But, <laughs> I mean, it has kind of been about a year since we've seen Franklin, so... You know, I guess he's just fallen time... out of practice. I guess. Yeah, he's just forgot the very basics of don't move your <laughs> yeah. own mouth. But I do like as well how they kind of, like you know the the whole Enbluth is is kind of like a it's a bit of a dumb storyline that they just kind of throw in kind of for no reason over these last yeah. few episodes. <laughs> Uh, you know, and even when it resolves, the payoff isn't really that great. But I do like the fact that it allows them to kind of put a joke in here about the N word, but with <laughs> with with Job and Michael, and it's 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 kind of you know that's that's a level of kind of ingenuity that you don't see on very many sitcoms. And of yeah, course, the end blue thing does lead to some funny stuff, but it is oh, you're right, the payoff is not great. But it it, it, yeah. it sort of is a kind of a comedy MacGuffin a little bit to sort of set up some other things. Like I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to next episode, but. There yeah. are things that come from this that are worthwhile, even if the whole storyline itself is kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of disappears back into nothingness at the end of the series. Yeah, we do get we I mean, we do get a joke about, you know, finding out what Michael's real name is. And that's quite <laughs> and that's quite funny. But again, I do love that. yeah, I, I don't feel like having seen these few episodes, you know, 20, 30 times now, I don't feel like it really comes to anything. And I feel like they, they could kind of use some of that that kind of time better. But. As it is, you know, we get that wonderful joke with Franklin to start off with. And then, of course, we get another hint towards Tobias when, um, you know, George starts referring to N. Bluth as a she. And, uh, of course, you know, when he says he, she, what's the difference? Tobias goes, here, here, in the dark, it all looks the same. <laughs> Which then, after a kind of a short beat, he goes, they're probably taking a shot in the dark. <laughs> and uh <laughs> i just kind of i just kind of love that you know this is where we get introduced to the idea of justice tv and um and jan eagleman um uh, of course you know there was a, a kind of uh, a boom in uh court tv stuff in america uh where you're allowed to show what's going on in the court uh <laughs> over here it, it, we're not allowed to show what's going on in uh in british courts it's just not a thing that is done uh, probably just really, a bunch. Not, like not not at all, not even nope. in any case. Nope, no huh. cases at all. There have been some applications where people have been like, you know, can we show this particular case, you know, because it's it's an important case, and most times the judge says no, you can't. <laughs> so <laughs> we have to just rely on uh, on kind of you know those uh, those those kind of uh, court portraits that you you see i think it's sort of the reverse in america where the where it's the default is sort of this will be shown on tv obviously because why wouldn't it be and then in yeah. special cases we may actually go through the herculean task of not not filming showing something. something yeah it's funny actually because obviously you know the boom in this came about 10 years before this when you had the you know the trial of the century uh 
mm-hmm. where you had OJ Simpson, that kind of fueled, you know, the whole kind of court TV type thing. Um, and I think now what was once called court TV is not even called court TV anymore and doesn't bother showing court cases. So the, the whole thing has kind of moved away. But, you know, I like I like Jenny. Eagleman. I think, uh, you know, Carrie Preston is a great actress. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, I've seen her in a lot of different things. And she's, you know, she's really, really good. And she's quite fun in this role here, uh, particularly as Michael keeps kind of working against what she wants to do. <laughs> That's the funny thing is, you know, like she's invited him onto this show. You know, she's offering to be his, you know, the lawyer. And he just keeps kind of messing things up for her in her kind of like day job as a, as a you know, someone on Justice TV. So I think that's quite funny. And we get a, a little flashback here to uh, you're a crook, Captain Hook. <laughs> now, the weird thing is that they talk about Michael playing a lawyer in school. But of course, in the trial of Captain Hook, he plays the prosecutor, not the defense. So... Yeah. When they say that's the same lawyer that, that Captain Hook had, that's actually incorrect because he was the one prosecuting <laughs> Captain Hook. So that's an inaccuracy that, you know. But I do love how they have the sound effect of him as a child dropping, you know, the hook being dropped. Uh, I think it's by a young Buster in the flashback. or And in real life, of course, Lucille says Buster did grow up to be Captain Hook and he drops his his hook hand and it makes the exact same sound effect yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so like so perfectly placed this is where george senior starts kind of ribbing michael and saying that he would be a a terrible uh, you know he'd be a terrible attorney because he'd basically give the family up <laughs> this is where of course where he talks about how Jan carries a lot of weight and she's not charging us anything and of course franklin says I'd like to see a whore that does that and then job goes <laughs> carrying the weight part but on the other hand, if it's free. Um, which also <laughs> kind of hints at the next episode as well, because, you know, Franklin unwittingly becomes a pimp. And you can see how Job is sort of getting caught up in this whole other train of thought that's completely irrelevant <laughs> that I guess will eventually lead to what happens in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just great how he'll have Franklin say something and then he'll try and catch up as Job with what Franklin's just said. <laughs> it's such a great kind of bit of work from, uh, from Will Arnett. He's just so good. Um, you know, in this, in that kind of doing that thing. And, and that's basically his whole storyline for this particular episode yeah. is everything to do with him trying to become a better ventriloquist by cheating in every possible way. And of course, I love that this scene kind of ends with George saying, no one is going to betray the family. Uh, and Michael telling them no one's going to lie in the stand. And then the narrator telling us Buster was nervous. And you see Buster kind of <laughs> like rocking. And the narrator goes, Buster was nervous. That's what all the rocking and humming was about. <laughs> and it's just such a great kind of, like, you didn't need to tell us, but I like that the narrator kind of steps in there. <laughs> yeah. And this is where we get a lot of business with Judge Reinhold. And I, I tell you, at this particular point, Judge Reinhold was about 15 years away from his peak. Um, and he's really game in this particular episode, you know. Um, I've always liked Judge Reinhold. Uh, apart from when he's in Gremlins, because he's terrible in Gremlins, and also his character vanishes after 30 minutes and yeah. doesn't show up for the rest of the film. But um, I think he he kind of had, you know, he's got like a a very kind of soft voice and you know, like kind of a a kind of a kind of calm demeanor, and you know, he has a very kind of specific acting style. But it works so well in this episode. Like the way they use him is just perfect, and you know, they they could have kind of made. They could make like hundreds of jokes about his name and all that kind of stuff. And it would always be funny because <laughs> I just love, I love it. And of course, 
um, you know, there's a second cut scene which kind of revolves around this whole thing where Michael accidentally <laughs> reveals to Judge Reinhold why he's got this particular job. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting business, but it would have just made the scene like about a minute and a half longer, and I don't think it would have really achieved anything special. It it just was kind of a few more jokes about you know why you know why he's doing what he's doing in this particular kind of job. I like how Judge Reinhold is deployed in this episode, but part of why that's so perfect is because he's he shows up for so little time. Yeah, like it's it's long enough to make a joke about his name and also his sort of buffoonishness. But then he basically recedes into the background so i feel like the more time spent on judge reinhold the less funny it becomes in a way yeah michael here <laughs> when talking to judge reinhold um you know he i i like how he says you know there's an actor by that name and of course <laughs> this is where judge reinhold enters talking about how he lost all the weight and he's not happy about being in these like flowing robes and of course <laughs> when we actually see him enter the court later on when the program begins he's in these very tight robes <laughs> and it's just like such a uh and they talk about like two costume changes later on in the episode that you know in the in one in a cut scene um so obviously i i and I, I mean i obviously i think judge reinhold's level of fame is just right so you would believe he would be on a kind of daytime courtroom <laughs> tv thing that just happens to be you know because his name is judge and of course he talks about judge judy made 25 million dollars last year and i'm like hey I never even heard of the guy. And <laughs> I like how I like how when Michael points out that Judge Reinhold's only got the gig because of his name, Jan Eagleman, I and I love Carrie Preston's delivery where she goes, Honestly, this is the first time I put those two things together. <laughs> <laughs> because it's obvious that, you know, that she she's only using him for that particular thing. We get a shout out here actually. This is a really the kind of funny kind of running joke in this episode, but it's actually a shout out to um the 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 kind of the show that <laughs> that basically won a few Emmys and stopped Arrested Development from like completing some hat tricks in its third season here and that is of course My Name Is Earl uh, the NBC sitcom and I I don't remember like I you know I don't live in America as you could probably tell from my accent and so I don't know if this was a thing but apparently it was where they had thousands of magazines where you open them and it would say My Name Is Earl over and over again. <laughs> And so on this, we have, um, you know, Judge Reinhold saying, maybe we should take Judge out of the title and go with my original Mr. Reinhold's courtroom, <laughs> which is such a kind of, I love it. It's such a stupid joke. And I love that they, they do this twice because they actually change the name to a completely different title to that. But both times they, they're removing the word judge, which would be the whole point of the show. Um, and of course, this is where we find out that, you know, they've got quarter of a million talking magazine ads and we see one. <laughs> and of course, we get the first. My name is Judge. Which is such a great joke for the rest of this episode, just because that kind of then intertwines with Job. And his whole storyline. We're this far into the episode and we haven't even got to the coma. Um, and of course, you know, Jenny Eagleman, you know, is kind of mad at Michael for, you know, kind of <laughs> suggesting, you know, kind of making it clear to Judge Reinhold why they're using him. She, she lays out the fact that, the, that this mock trial is going to be practiced for Judge Reinhold. And obviously she's going to be the prosecutor and she's going to test the family. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Michael here takes the opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to be the, the prosecutor. Um, and he talks about how uh, to be the defense, sorry. And he says he's going to show his dad what he can do. And he goes, I'll make a fool out of him. 
while sticking together, <laughs> 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 which is just such a kind of like a great kind of turn that he makes to tr- in front of Jan. Uh, and at this point, we find out that Buster is in a coma. Um, and <laughs> I like how Lucille, while she's in the room, she says, I just pray it's one of those things where he's unconscious throughout the entire trial. And when it's over, he wakes up and gets a big toy. Uh, now, bearing in mind, Buster is like 32 at this point. <laughs> so, so it's not really that kind of, it's just so funny. And of course, you know, um, Lucille lets it be known that she was thinking of putting Buster into a coma. Uh, but she did not get a chance uh, because he got into the forget-me-nows. Um, and Job then phrases this in the weirdest way where he says, uh, he asked me for them. I didn't know. I thought he was just dating again, uh, <laughs> which is kind of an unsavory uh, thought. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. And we find out that, that for this episode, at least, you know, they don't have a private room. We meet Brian, um, who I don't think is played by an actor of any uh, note, um, but he has a badge that says... Let my mother die. <laughs> Just like a gigantic badge. And um, in a cut scene from, you know, uh, parts of the mock trial, Lindsay was seen wearing that badge. And, <laughs> and they, oh, that's great. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. So they, they kind of brought that badge back as like a, a kind of joke. And uh, Judge Reinhold was going to rule on whether or not she would have to read out what was on her badge. Um, but we only get to see it here on Brian um, for most of this episode. Um, and, uh, you know, this is where we find out that Brian has had his mother on a feeding tube for two years because they won't, they won't let her die. Um, and Lindsay then <laughs> starts to talk about his resources and how he's got money. And, you know, he, he, he starts to kind of like, she starts to really like come onto him very hard. Yeah. Um, and of course, this is where Michael decides to leave the room and, uh, and, uh, and they, they go out to the, the, the kind of lobby and they meet, uh, George Senior and George Senior has his own kind of weird little running bit throughout this episode where he keeps talking about shrimp fest (laughs) (laughs) I love this whole shrimp fest thing partially because we're now at a point in the show where George Senior is um, interacting with the whole cast as opposed to just Michael or just one or two people at a time uh, more often yeah and the shrimp fest thing just shows that he's no matter how much he's in contact with the family he's still just off in his own world or just (laughs) Pursuing his own desires above anything else. Yeah. And the way he delivers that line, oh, the, sh- oh, the shrimp. Oh, the shrimp. Yeah, oh, it's just one, one of my favorite deliveries in this episode because it's just so perfect. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, later on, Michael will, you know, when when uh, when George Sr. wants to rush back to the hospital, Michael's like, shrimp fed sober, Dad. And <laughs> like how the, he's immediately like, oh, let's go to Chili's. <laughs> like He doesn't even care about going <laughs> to the hospital at that particular point. <laughs> Uh, this is where, you know, Michael kind of talks about, uh, you know, who is N. Bluth. And um, <laughs> I like how George goes, he doesn't even know who B. Bluth is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like when he discusses the trial and, he, and George says, that's the same representation Captain Hook had. And Lucille and Joe both laugh so loud. <laughs> oh, it's so good to laugh again. Oh, it feels good. You know, George Senior obviously laughing along. And I <laughs> like how Michael's like, they say seven minutes heals all wounds, which is, you know, the rest of his family uh, seem to have forgotten where they are or why they're even there. Um, and of course, this is when Job then finds out about um, talking technology in magazines. And I, I mean, I've got to be honest with, with you. I don't think like Job not knowing about this technology is kind of weird because 
Um, you know, like musical cards have been a thing for years. Um, I, d- I mean, I don't know about in America, but certainly over here, you know, little cards yeah. you open up, he plays a little tune. It's basically yeah. the same technology. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's just a sign that Job is completely out of touch with the real world that he doesn't realize that <laughs> he could have had, he could have been doing this, you know, ventriloquism thing a lot easier if he just had something that opened up and closed and also, you know, did the work for him, basically. And this is where uh, Dr. Farmer reveals that Buster is in what they call a light to no coma. And I like when he says, In layman's terms, it might be considered a very heavy nap. <laughs> I just like that he's got this scale of like how close to a coma someone is. Yeah. Like that's the kind of detail that I really like. And of course we get the title of the episode here when Michael says he could be faking it. Um uh, and I li- take a drink. Yeah, and I like how he goes he goes Oh highly likely this is fake. Uh, which is just such a great kind of yeah. <laughs> his delivery of that line is really great. And um and of course, you know, we get a zinger on Buster when he goes, although there doesn't seem to be much brain activity and Lucille goes <laughs> No, that's him. Which I think is a little cruel because I don't think Buster is, you know, Buster isn't stupid. He's just very infantile. Yes, yeah. And of course, Dr. Farmer points out that he's fully insured. So let's see how it plays out. (laughs) And of course, George Sr., possibly one of my favorite lines where he says, We're going to be here every day. I I don't care if it takes from now to the end of Shrimp Fest. (laughs) (laughs) Which appears to not even be that long because Shrimp Fest is over by like the second half of the episode. Yeah, I I guess maybe he's just catching the end of Shrimp Fest. Um, (laughs) Maybe maybe the last couple of days he doesn't realize it, you know, because he's he's in the house of rest, so why would he know? That's true. Also, this is is kind of, you know, one of the first times that we actually get George Sr., out of the apartment in this season um mm. you know the last the last time he was out of the apartment was when he broke back into the prison so that's not really like a new environment <laughs> for him um but yeah so you know it this is it's odd to see george senior in a different like on a different set that's not kind of yeah. like the prison set or the the apartment another reason why these last few episodes kind of feel so strange one of many reasons and of course this is where the doctor suggests to george michael that he might want to put on fake a fake wedding for the Alzheimer's patients. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I like how he says, would I have to touch the old people? And Dr. Farmer says, only their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're just fitting because we know George Michael has a fear of uh, age and decay specifically, so he would yeah. definitely be averse to touching old people. After what he's been through with, um, you know, with uh, Tobias this season. Oh, it's true, that's true. You know, so I can understand why he's a little... <laughs> yeah. And of course, as Dr. Farmer goes through, you know, a list of people who, you know, he might be able to kind of bring along, he mentions maybe a cousin. And then he says, of course, you're going to have to kiss. And we get a freeze frame on uh, <laughs> on George Michael when the narrator says, guess who liked that idea? Um, and this leads to possibly one of the greatest kind of like stumbly speeches from Michael Sarah, which I, I can't hope to imitate. I just, great. I was just... Well, don't, don't answer. I, um, yeah, because I know exactly the cousin. It, I mean, it is the girl I would want to give and she'll want to give too. We'll, and we'll do that together. It's for them, for the sake of... I just, it's a great day uh, for being sad. <laughs> it's a great day for being sad. It's such a, and Michael Serrett delivers it so perfectly because he's trying not to give away his like, enthusiasm for the idea <laughs> yeah. of kissing maybe. But at the same time, you know, he's he's trying not to seem like he doesn't want to do it. And oh, it's just so great. Such a kind of great kind of stumble uh, kind of through that speech. Um, and, you know, we find out that uh, in a flashback, in a flashback to uh, the 
previous episode, but obviously not a scene that was in the previous episode, um, <laughs> where we see Lindsay and Buster alone. And I just love how he, he talks about... Oh, I love soup. <laughs> if the only thing I could do was lay in bed all day and eat soup, I'd be happy. I wouldn't even have to taste it. I could just take it through a tube. That would actually be better because I wouldn't even burn my mouth. <laughs> and it finishes with him saying... Never let me die. And then, of course, he cuts back to Lindsay in the present, and she's like, oh, yeah, he wants out. <laughs> so I like how this is the only person that Buster has said, don't let me die, and she's willing to pull the plug on Buster for the sake of, you know, going out with Brian. Um, but it's such a it's such a great, uh, such a great joke. Um, and, you know, we get, of course, um, Job has found himself some magazines. Uh, and, uh, you know... When we get when we get back to the uh, you know the apartment we or not the apartment sorry back to the the model home, um, Job has got Franklin, and he's talking about his whole setup of what he's now going to do because he's changed the name of Franklin, and his name is now Judge. And we see we see Job uh, like kind of open Franklin's mouth and he goes, "My name is Judge," and of course Job goes, "Whose name is Judge?" and then. Judge goes, my name is, and then of course Joe goes, that's a silly name, and he goes, Judge, my name, and then he starts going, I am judging your name, it am silly, and he goes, is, and it's just, it's like, he's just taking the four words, my name is Judge, and just using them so many different ways throughout this whole thing to kind of put this bit on for Michael. And I, I love Michael's like like strong pushback against this this going any further. <laughs> he just wants it to end as soon as possible. Yeah, and of course he also finishes, you know, by saying you're not going to put Franklin on the stand and your lips are moving just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's got the thing rigged up to speak for him, he just can't stop. Yeah, he can't stop kind of mouthing yeah. along with it. That's the funniest thing as well. Is like we find out now. This is another kind of storyline that kind of comes and goes in these last few episodes. We find out that there is a secret room, um, and Michael goes around looking for it. Um, and you know, um, <laughs> well, we get a little bit <laughs> where Job Job decides he's got to go back to the hospital uh, because he needs some more talking magazines, <laughs> which I which I just love how that's his priority. Um, and in the secret room, Michael finds his uh, birth certificate, which says that his name is Michael Bluth, not Michael <laughs> Bluth. And I love how once he's figured out what's going on, the narrator goes, Michael was worried. Uh, <laughs> which is such a kind of, such a dumb joke. It's the but... simplest possible joke, but it, it gets me every time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is this is where, you know, and then, of course, Tobias... Comes into the the secret room. Michael says, "You know, there's there's his fam the family records are in this secret room, uh, but also a stack of bodybuilding magazines." Um, and I like how Tobias is like, "Oh, your dad must have had these from way back when." And of course, as he does that, a magazine slips open and says, "My name is Judge." Um, and Tobias says that he's he's trying to beef up to impress his wife, uh, and this leads to possibly the most obvious joke about Tobias's sexuality. Where Michael goes to leave the secret room and he says to Tobias, you coming out? And of course, Tobias goes, no, no, I've got to fight for my wife. I'm going to keep my marriage alive. <laughs> Which, And the look Michael gives when he stops the door and sort of processes through what's just happened <laughs> and decides to just leave it be and, and move on is, is pretty great, too. Yeah, I think um, Jason Bateman and, uh, and David Cross, you know, 
they've they've had a few episodes where those two characters have been together. Most notably, the one with Uncle Jack, where he's you know on the back of a horse riding with uh, Tobias. <laughs> Um, but like, you know, their exchanges generally do tend to just be kind of jokes about his sexuality. And obviously, you know, uh, in that particular episode as well with the, uh, with Uncle Jack, he did suggest getting a tape recorder and recording himself. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think these two, you know, these two really work well together. They have like a really good sense of kind of like comic timing and stuff. And, you know, Jason Bateman in this show, uh, most of the time, he's a really great straight man for a bunch of kind of, crazy buffoons mostly um and i think i think you know he he works well with a lot of the cast but i you know i do enjoy some of the stuff that him and david cross do together and uh, even that kind of small scene there is kind of one example of that where you know it's just the timing about him saying are you coming out and stuff that kind of really works which you know it's quite a hacky joke i gotta admit <laughs> but you know they sell it so um and of course george michael is attempted to convince maybe to to become his fake wife uh, you know which is contrasted with uh, with Tobias's fake fake marriage um and you know maybe of course is still working for the studio though in this episode we don't see her at the studio at all in fact i don't think we've seen her at the studio for a couple of episodes um and so you know she's seeing this as an interesting idea for you know a wedding film um but you know george michael's a little confused about that but you know he'll take it uh, and so, so they, and of course, the narrator sums it up by saying, "So, like many people who no longer felt anything for each other, they decided to get married." Um, which is, you know, a very cynical line, <laughs> yeah. uh, particularly about essentially these two fifteen-year-olds as well. That's that's the weirdest <laughs> thing. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Michael goes to confront George Senior, who insists that Michael is just a typo. Um, and I do love this bit there where he says they got your birth date wrong, and he's like, "That is my birth date," and he's like, "Oh, close to Christmas." Was that hard? <laughs> like... That delivery is again just so perfect. <laughs> like, this sort of like very subtle, subtle way he's needling Michael on so many different levels just to get a rise out of him is pretty fantastic. And of course, you know, Michael has spoken to Jan Eagleman, um, you know, which George Senior is kind of annoyed at because she's the prosecution, and Michael says, "Well, just for the mock trial," and obviously. You know, it makes sense that Michael should be discussing this with her, but George Senior is getting more concerned about the mock trial. Um, and of course, this is where we find out that Shrimp Fest is over, and uh, George <laughs> decides George decides to go to Chili's. And outside the hospital, Lindsay is got a sign that says "Let Buster Die," and <laughs> Tobias has one that says, "You know, Let Buster Live." So they've, they've both chosen a side, and I just love that Lindsay's telling people that they're they're just trying to keep people alive. It's a life mill, which I think is such a kind of <laughs> it's such a weird turn of phrase, but I just kind of love the the delivery of it. Um, and you know, <laughs> Tobias has got Father Ben with him. Uh, this is I love actually because this is quite a subtle setup of the payoff for the very end of this episode, where we have you know a real priest, you know. Um, who wants to marry, as it says on one side of his sign. <laughs> um, <laughs> and of course, you know, uh, Lindsay talks about, you know, the, the dignity of every human being. Um, and she says, and this is, you know, such a kind of a great use of these particular terms, where she says, why don't we leave the fruits with the vegetables and go get a coffee? Um, <laughs> you know, which were Portia de Rossi not gay? I don't think she could get away with delivering that line, but uh, <laughs> and I love how Tobias desperately goes, "Do some push-ups, do some push-ups." <laughs> <We> just... <laughs> uh, 
As, as if that would, as if like this priest doing push-ups would impress Lindsay in any way. It's such a, <laughs> a weird kind of direction for them to take. Somehow that's going to to strengthen his side of the argument in some way. <laughs> yeah, maybe does kind of do a runner in the middle of her her wedding, which is for the Alzheimer's patients. And you know there is a kind of particularly, I don't know. I mean, to me this feels like a very cruel joke uh, for people who have Alzheimer's, where you know after maybe has run away. The uh, the kind of fake priest just stands there for a few seconds and goes, hold on, give it a minute. And then he takes, he puts the shawl around uh, George Michael and puts a yarmulke on him. And then he's like, now it's a bar mitzvah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, these... I don't know if like they're just more um, <laughs> obviously cruel jokes in, in this episode or just at this point in the show, or if it's just that the show sort of has always existed on that level of cruelty, but uh, usually the um, the strength of the writing and the, the the performances carries it over that without you really noticing. But so whenever there's like a minor uh slip up or just things sort of falter for a second, you really see how how very dark and mean spirited some of the things in the show are. <laughs> I think that's always been there. I think it's always been there with like Lucille yeah. and Job. They're always like that. You know, George Senior kind of hates seventy five percent of his kids. You know, so like, I think it's always been there, but you know, I think basically the joke being that these old people have got Alzheimer's and so in about 30 seconds, they won't remember where they were at all. You know, I think that that's like an unusually cruel joke for the show. Uh, but you it's know, particularly bleak. Well, I mean, I think the fact that the narrator says, <laughs> as George Michael acted like a boy becoming a man, Michael returned to his office to find a man acting like a boy. So they <laughs> kind of gloss over it so quickly with the uh, with the narration that I feel like you don't kind of dwell on it. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I and I also love that Job has just upended Michael's desk and turned it into a witness <laughs> box. Apparently, without even removing anything or unplugging any he just came in and and lifted the desk over onto its side with with no preparation yeah and i like as well how he justifies it by going justice is swift michael um (laughs) (laughs) which is really and of course this is where we find out that they've run out of magazines like those little talking things you would have to really open and close them quite a lot to run out those little batteries so i don't know how much practice he's been doing of that my name is judge uh kind of bit um and you know we find out that uh <laughs> that he's stolen the uh the doctor's uh dictaphone and we find out that you know he's talking about uh, you know a patient who's who's presented with gastric bacterial infection and uh, tetracycline uh, you know should not be used due to allergies and um <laughs> Job has already got this whole bit worked out where he's like you'll say who's this little friend and I'll say well he's not feeling well and you'll say what's wrong with her and I just love how he's already got all this worked out in his mind <laughs> when Michael comes in and of course you know he can't pronounce uh tetracycline so he says tricycline <laughs> instead <laughs> Michael says your lips are still moving which is like the third time he's told him <laughs> that he's and of course you know he he, he talks about you know how he stole the doctor's tape recorder and of course you know when Joe says just the tape later on we'll see that kind of pay off uh, <laughs> but uh yeah I, I i just like how you know Job really wants to use franklin you know and he's seen it as a good opportunity for his uh career um and <laughs> i like how we get to the point where michael goes Job, i'm not going to turn this mock trial into some kind of and then he stops and Job goes you were going to say mockery, weren't you? 
<laughs> and that's one of the very few times where Job kind of gets the upper hand on Michael a little bit in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, this is where we get Wayne Jarvis returning with the Patriot Act, as uh, as has become his tradition now. Um, <laughs> and I love the wording that anything said in a mock trial or daytime courtroom show can be used in any real criminal proceeding or primetime procedural show subject to the interpretation <laughs> of the presiding judge or executive producer. And I like how both Michael and Wayne Jarvis are happy that Judge Reinhold got executive producer credit. Um, I just like John Michael Higgins' delivery of good for him. Like, <laughs> they both genuinely seem to like Judge Reinhold and they're happy that, you know, he's he's got this thing. And it's it's such a nice little moment between the two of them. Now, obviously, you know, Michael, it, 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 I mean, it's revealed in court later on, you know, that he's using the doctor's tape recorder. He should have really kind of got that back to the doctor. But, you know... Uh, I feel like the damage has already been done in that particular case. Um, yeah. But, you know, they talk about, you know, the, the kind of the immunity and all this kind of stuff and, and who N. Bluth is. And there's a wonderful visual joke here as, you know, Michael talks about how, because Wayne Jarvis says it might be time to cut and run. And Michael says, we don't do that in our family. And in the background, you see maybe running out of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of love that. And, um, George Michael enters the room knocking and um he he talks about how you know he always knocks whenever he enters any room all the time um <laughs> and I think obviously you know that's it suggests that he's had a bad experience with seeing Tobias in some kind of compromising position once again yeah and we you know the narrator tells us that maybe he's still a child in many ways which I think is at this particular point in the show you know it's good to kind of remind people that you know they are both still quite young children uh, you know, I think both the actors at this point were about 18, but they're still essentially playing 15 year olds. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I, I think it, it's worth remembering that maybe is, you know, quite a young, you know, child. She's not really an adult, even though she acts like that a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, obviously George Michael is trying everything possible <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to get the kiss the narrator even says he really wanted that kiss and we we go with another kind of job uh, not job another kind of bluth tradition here of misquoting religious verses <laughs> where he talks about how the... the torah tells us that the larger wrong is to put our own feelings before the commitments we've made you know towards the sick aged and gross she's like <laughs> such a such a wonderful turn of phrase and the narrator of course corrects him instantly by saying that's not in the torah <laughs> And of course, when we, when, you know, George Michael keeps making out that where they disappointed these old people. And, you know, the narrator points out that this isn't true. Um, and in talking about the kiss, maybe in a line that calls all the way back to the pilot says it would be a good way to freak out our parents, which of course <laughs> gets the agreement of George Michael who says, let's freak him out. Um, Michael is kind of looking for more evidence in the secret room. And of course he says for my trial against pop pop. And then he goes, for pop pop, <laughs> so like forgetting which side is on really, um, and you know when we get back to the hospital, um, and Lindsay trying to pull the plug on Buster, um, <laughs> we find out that there's a problem in three hundred two because the patient is having a bad reaction to tetracycline, and we you know we hear the you know we see uh, Nurse Adelaide and she's listening to it ain't easy being white, uh, which appears twice in this show. Uh, the second time is possibly my favorite rendition of it. Um, but yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And we get Lindsay and Tobias kind of arguing over Buster's light to comatose body. You know, as they're kind of like shouting at each other, Buster pops up and screams, just fake it. 
And then I like how he, he kind of very quickly goes, coma, and then falls back down. <laughs> <laughs> As if, like, you know, that's what's... This argument has now sent him back into his coma. Um, yeah. And, you know, th- that kind of puts an end to the whole kind of story with, you know, Ben and uh, and Brian and all that kind of stuff quite quickly. And we finally get to the mock trial, which <laughs> has now been renamed Mock Trial with Jay Reinhold. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such such a great way to not have the word judge in the title. I know, it's so close, but just not quite. We we get here uh William Hung and the Hung jury. <laughs> now, I don't know how to feel about like this whole William Hung thing in this particular episode because obviously he gained notoriety because he had uh you know an audition on um uh American Idol uh where he sang She Bangs by Ricky Martin. <laughs> But he sang it like so, like off key and kind of like terrible. The only reason he was kind of notable was just because of how bad he was, uh, you know. And I, I don't know. I mean, you know, his kind of career was not a fruitful one because, you know, even though he kind of kept going for, you know, a number of years after this and kind of built up a bit of a kind of cult following, you know, had a lot of TV appearances, Arrested Development, you know, being one of them. Uh, you know, this comes about 18 months after, you know, he'd been on American Idol. Um, he had a record deal, as crazy as that seems. The kind of gimmick of the record that he put out was just mostly him singing karaoke hits off key. I can confirm that because I did, in fact, own that CD. <laughs> My mother bought it for me as a, I don't even think it was a birthday present. It was just a regular present. She I don't know why really... or how that ended up happening. I, I mean, has she disowned you since then? What's going on? I mean... <laughs> I feel like there's a bigger well, problem we're, than we're needs still to sort be of working explored. Yeah. Um, um, but, <laughs> well, it was so troubling because I would try to listen to that CD as any sort of... I'd try to just like sort of get any sort of enjoyment out of it that I could. But even if you can try to tune out how awful he is, all you can think is, boy, I, I, I kind of like uh, She Bangs by Ricky Martin. I'd love to hear that right now. <laughs> well, Instead uh, of this verse. There's no way to enjoy it. Yeah, um, well, I mean, he, he, you know, She Bangs, he, he released his version of, of She Bangs and that sold quite well, um, you know, and was on, you know, an album called Inspiration, which I'm guessing is the album that you had. That's the one. Yeah. That's the exact one. It also had a cover of Hotel California on there. I remember very clearly. Oh, that's... that's like a seven minute long song. <laughs> yeah. And all of it. <laughs> um, but then he had Ugh. two follow ups, which were, um, Hung for the Holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've got to admit is like a, and then his final album was Miracle Happy Summer with, uh, from William Hung. Oh, that, that, that just makes me sad, that one. Well, that's, it, that's a bit heartbreaking. It would make you even sadder to know that, um, Hung for the Holidays only sold 35,000 copies and, uh, Miracle only sold 7,000 copies. Oh no, that's terrible. Yeah, so. I mean, they are object- objectively bad CDs, I'm certain, but. Well, <laughs> yes. So, um, but yeah, so about, you know, 2011, he kind of gave up on music and, uh, and became a, uh, a, a crime, a technical crime analyst for the, uh, LA County Sheriff's Department. So, you know, not a, te- not a terrible career. No, um, probably a good move uh, overall for yeah. himself um, and society, I'd but, imagine. You know, I, I think in the, I think in, on Arrested Development, he's, he's kind of in on the joke, you know, so it doesn't feel that bad. But, um, you know, it feels to me like, you know, a lot of a lot of his career essentially was just mockery um, and and, you know, kind of pointing at him and not, you know, 
I'm sure he's he now has a very good life. Um, but you know, it just seems kind of like, you know, a little bit of a kind of cruel joke. But uh, you know, I haven't sold two hundred thousand copies of anything, so <laughs> who am I to judge? It feels, it feels the joke in this feels more like it's. Um, I mean, obviously, it is somewhat on him, but it feels more like it's on the idea of the sort of disposable cheap cash in show that mock trial with Jane Reinhold is that they would try to pull yeah. in this very like flash in the pan cultural uh figure to sort of just I don't know. It it feels more like a joke on as lame as this sounds to say, society. Yeah, no, I feel it feels like kind of a, a very kind of accurate kind of uh you know, like a kind of date this is what a daytime court T V would have to do to try and get noticed is have yes, kind yeah. of like, you know, these this type of kind of celebrity on there. Um, now that being said, I just love the song "Mock Trial" by Jay Reinhold. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a stupid song, but I just love that it's just "Mock Trial" by Jay Reinhold, "Mock Trial" over and over again. No just, other lyrics, just the title of the show yeah, over and over again. Yeah, I just love it, and uh, you know, and I think William Hung he does a really good job kind of in this in this particular role and kind of being in on the joke and, and kind of you know so I, I feel like you know whilst his career may have not been great I think in this episode you know he does he does a nice it's a nice little cameo uh and it really kind of works with the tone of what the episode is about but I do love as well that the bailiff talks about acting's highest honor Judge Reinhold and then quickly turns to camera and says Judge Reinhold is neither a real judge nor has he received acting's highest honor <laughs> <laughs> which is such a great line. Um, and of course, Judge Reinhold talks about how, you know, uh, he, he, he never got a standing ovation before the show. And obviously everyone is standing silently in court. Um, and in the, in a cut scene kind of around this part of the episode, he, he says to Jan, you know, why aren't they clapping? And she says, they don't do that in a courtroom. And he goes, and the, the line that is actually cut is, well, why did I deliver the joke? And Jan goes, I don't know. You wrote it. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is, that's actually one of the bits that I think would have been great if they'd have kept it in because it just makes Judge Reinhold seem completely clueless about the whole kind of like <laughs> process. And I like how, you know, uh, we have like these base stings uh, when, when they kind of cut between the different parts of the trial. There's like this little slide on a base that they kind of hit each yeah. time. And it's like such a nice kind of touch. Uh, uh, kind of like fitting in with the kind of the production of that show um, and you know we get Tobias first upon the stand and he describes you know he doesn't know anything about any business in Iraq because he spends so much time making sweet love on my wife uh, which is and he talks about hard to hear anything over the clatter of her breasts such a kind of weird and of course Michael you know he doesn't he, he, he only has one witness that he's going to bring out and so he doesn't have any questioning for any of these people. Um, and I like as well how when Lucille's on the stand, she goes, if this were the real trial, I'd cry here. And Judge Reinhold leans over and goes, I'm saving my good stuff too. Which is just such a great, like, <laughs> I like the kind of complicity in that moment between Lucille and Judge Reinhold. Like they, under <laughs> they understand what this is and they're not going to, they're not going to rise to the level that it needs to be. They're just going to give their bare minimum. Uh, going on, and of course, uh, <laughs> we get Job on the stand where he has a magazine, and he just opens it, and uh, and he goes, well, obviously it says, "My name is Judge." <laughs> Job goes, 
what kind of name is that magazine? Um, <laughs> and I like how Michael jumps in and he's like, uh, I have nothing for him. <laughs> you know, just to kind of put an end to the whole bit. And of course, George Sr., I don't know why he's so angry at this particular point. Yeah, I know. But this line really strikes me as like kind of, you know, he goes, uh, have fun out there because it's the last time you're going to see this side of a courtroom till your second wife divorces your freckled ass. And it's just like such a kind of cruel <laughs> and I like, I don't know why he's this mad, you know? Um, and of course, uh, Michael calls a surprise witness. Um, you know, and Jan, of course, <laughs> you know, she, she says only witnesses on the list. And of course, this is where Michael goes, Oh, he's on the list. I'd like to call to the stand Franklin Delano Bluth. And I love how Job, cause Job and Michael, you know, they have this kind of very fraught relationship sometimes, but I like how Michael is kind of throwing Job a bone here and, and how Job is so happy. <laughs> Franklin. <laughs> Franklin gets to be it's always on the stand. so nice when they have those little moments of brotherly uh, togetherness. Like when they they kind of almost built a house and they're they're kind of looking at the paper and, and Job's kind of like we almost did it and Michael's like <laughs> no not really. <laughs> <laughs> but I like for a second that they they were almost celebrating and that's what we get here yeah. and then of course we get the band and they play it ain't easy being white and it's just my favorite version because it's just like this kind of very uptown kind of like very funky kind of version of it and it's just so great because as as he goes to the stand job and franklin kind of like do a little dance like to, in time to the music <laughs> kind of like acknowledging it and it's just such a great touch like will on is really you know in this episode he's he's like given 110 percent, and it's just so great to kind of see um and of course <laughs> i like how when jan eagleman says this is highly unusual. And Judge Reinhold gives like a kind of faux judge warning where he says, Well, I'm very curious to see where this is going. I'm going to allow it. But I'm warning you, Mr. Bluth, this better make for a good promo. <laughs> and it's such a great kind of like judge type kind of thing that he's doing. Um, and of course, Michael lays out that he was approached by Wayne Jarvis. Um, and he asks Job to press play on the, uh, on the button. So finally, <laughs> we get to see some kind of like accurate ventriloquism but it's just a cheat um, and we hear Wayne Jarvis talking about you know how he's going to go after M. Bluth and how you know he he wants to conspire against his client and this is where Wayne Jarvis uh, who for some reason of course is is, is it, uh, at mock trial with Jay Reinhold uh, he says why do there have to be puppets like Frank uh, which is such a kind of great kind of like I mean I don't know how many people watching realise that that's like a, a Blue Velvet reference but it's great that they fit it in and of course, it's worth pointing out as well that as Job takes the stand with Franklin, and for the whole of this episode, Franklin's been wearing a t-shirt that says, George Bush doesn't care about black puppets. <laughs> which it, it, it's, a, it's a great little attempt by Job to be topical. Yes, which, you know, at the time, Hurricane Katrina was uh, kind of like about a year before this. So it's, you know, it's still kind of topical. But I, I, I don't know, it's just such a great like kind of like t-shirt that he's just got there. Um and, you know, I, I like how Judge Reinhold goes, it looks like we've got a mistrial, but on the plus side, we've also got a hung jury <laughs> with them. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the theme tune to mock trial one more time. And, you know, I, I like as well how, obviously, Michael, you know, had this idea for the, the, the surprise witness. And I like how George Sr. is like, why don't you just take it to the grand jury? 
And of course, Michael plays it off as, you know, he was trying to prove something to George Sr. But the narrator tells us Michael had no idea that's what he was supposed to do. So I like how quickly this kind of victory for Michael is undercut by the narrator. Um, and of course, Jan Eagleman is impressed with, you know, what's what's been done. Um, and this is where George Sr. says, we don't abandon each other. And of course, Michael says, no one's closer than the Bluth family. And then we cut to Father Ben saying, I now pronounce you man and wife. And we see maybe and uh, George Michael kissing uh, and the narrator lets us know that the fake priest was called to a patient's room and Father Ben filled in, not realizing it was fake. And that's how the kids got married. And that final line <laughs> in the episode is such a great line to kind of like finish on because it comes out of nowhere. But at the same time, it's been gradually built throughout the episode. You know, we met Father Ben, you know, we've had the kind of the, the earlier runaway bride moment. So these little bits have been put in place so that when it comes at the end and when the narrator can just basically announce to us that these two cousins have married, it's like <laughs> such a great payoff to all these like, kind of the, the setup that they've kind of put. And of course, you know, it, it, in itself, it becomes a different kind of take on on that particular storyline, which has basically been going since like two minutes into the pilot. <laughs> um, so uh, and that's kind of that's where the episode ends. Um, and then we get the on the next uh, talking about obviously, you know, mock trial with Jay Reinhold was clearly a success because <laughs> we now have Bud Court, uh, and Bud Court himself makes a, a very brief cameo, saying, "Please be seated." And of course, Job, uh, having found some publicity, uh, says, "Hard to sit when someone's got your hand up your ass." <laughs> and <laughs> I love how straight away Bud Court is like, "All right, let's lose the puppet." <laughs> so. <laughs> So the publicity that he gained for Franklin has been completely wasted in just one like line. And then we we find out that, you know, maybe Michael isn't N. Bluth and, you know, he has an older sister. Um, and I like how the narrator goes, so much for not abandoning family. And of course, the fact that he has an older sister is, you know, just a setup for, for you know, the eventual payoff of N. Bluth. But it's quite clever how, you know, they kind of set up the idea that there might be another Bluth sibling. But, you know, if you're paying attention, you can probably figure out that there isn't another blue sibling. Uh, but in fact, someone has been lied to about their age, basically. The the truth is somehow uh, simpler and yet m much more complicated in, in what it what it sets off. Um, yes, pati yes, particularly in the final episode. Yeah, it, it, just, yeah. it starts to get very weird. They, they kind of lean yeah. on. They've lent on this whole incest thing since the start, but they really, really lean on it in the final episode. Yeah, it really comes to a head. So, is there anything else, Jason, that you think we need to cover? I think we covered all the, uh, all all the all the things we we need to apparently uh, hash out about William Hung. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I we talked about how this was this was one of the uh, this is the first of the four episodes Fox just sort of burned off at the very end of the show's life, which is, uh, you know, would would seem is sort of classic Fox in a way, but. I mean, they'd already done the damage at this point, so really, you know, why not? Yeah, I mean, Fox kind of gets this kind of weird reputation for being like a network that cancels everything, but everybody else cancels everything all the time. Like, you know, ABC are notorious. Uh, you know, they had a, a show um, a few weeks after this called Emily's Reasons Why Not. They canceled that after oh, one wow. episode. One episode. <laughs> so, you know, it's that's, not... That, that's even less time than the uh, the Paul Reiser show. Yeah, Paul Reiser show which made... Ran, which ran for two episodes. Yeah, two episodes, yeah. So, you know, people people cancel stuff left, right, and center. But Fox, they gave this three seasons. 
This is, you know, that's true. They gave it fifty-three episodes. That's not that's not nothing, you know. Like, um, it, that that that's a good point. The the reason why Fox seems so cruel with the the, the great shows they sort of maybe mistreat is because they uh, take a chance on them in the first place. So that's that's a good point. Yeah. So I, you know, obviously burning four episodes off is not a good way to go out, but they essentially had already cancelled it by episode nine. So ten to thirteen, <laughs> they could have just never shown them. Like there was no reason they needed to show them, but you know they that's had. True. They had a they had a Friday in uh, in February free, and so they decided to spend two <laughs> hours burning off all these episodes. Um, something we haven't mentioned actually is uh, you know a kind of interesting um, kind of a slightly odd thing that that kind of we you know we didn't really talk about, which is um, <laughs> Brian, who has the the mother who is in the in the same room. And by the way, you know obviously Brian doesn't appear in any more episodes, so we only have to assume that he was successful in getting her feeding tube removed um <laughs> clearly that's a reference to the uh terry shivo case uh if mm. you remember that it's like such a big um you know kind of story um yeah so like just kind of like a, a little bit of an oblique reference to the fact that they they basically won't let her die <laughs> um yeah you know uh just another one of those like things that the grounds arrested development in such a such a specific cultural time it's always fascinating to see how those were sort of they weren't just like name check they were woven into the plot of the show itself like obviously the iraq war is a pretty obvious one but even yeah. like you know i mean smaller stories you know just relative to the, the war uh like terry shavo gets sort of just sort of used as joke fodder yes yeah i mean obviously they never like outright reference it but um you know no. the fact that, that Lindsay refers to someone being a vegetable uh kind of makes it clear uh what was going on there but yeah so um you know kind of interesting you know that they they kind of just kind of throw that out there um but yeah so if there's nothing else uh to talk about i think we can uh we can go to plugs uh do you have anything you wish to plug uh, i would like to plug um my podcast that i co-host with my friend kelsey called ruin my life a show about forcing your friends to love the things you love and it's really sort of a show about obsession and like pop culture obsessions in, in particular and why people enjoy the things they enjoy and how that sort of gets into your life and, and, and changes it and we sort of go back and forth me and her trade off ruining each other's lives and we also have uh guests on uh which i use the word guest kind of uh, so far it's mostly been people in our very immediate vicinity like my <laughs> wife has now been on twice and actually our last episode was about the Bachelor, but it was also sort of about the uh, the podcast Rose Buddies, which I'm sure you're familiar with yeah. in, in some form. Um, so I, I think that one's a pretty good one. So if anyone wants to check that out, go ahead. Or you know, you don't have to, <laughs> but 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 you certainly can. You know, uh, I mean, assuming you're on iTunes and all the other places where people can find podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. And do you have uh, any social media presence? Are you on Twitter or anything like that? Or oh, yeah, we're on we're on Twitter as. Uh, at ruin my life cast and then we're on facebook um i I'm, i've never you just i search for it on facebook i guess i never remember that facebook has actual like you you do you can get custom urls for facebook pages but i've, I've never yeah. actually gone about doing that Seems <laughs> yeah, a little bit pointless because the way facebook is set up <laughs> okay so everyone can find you there uh, and obviously you know on the previous episode that you're on you can you know of, uh, of this podcast you can also listen there so that's true just jump back and uh when did that when did that come out? September? It must have been early September or late August. Uh yeah, yeah. 
It was so you know, I, I well, I mean, the episodes of this started going up in um in uh yeah in late August, so yeah, so that's you that's... you've really been at it for a while. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm reaching <laughs> the very end now, fortunately. So, um, well, thank you very much, Jason, for joining me. Oh yes, thank you for having me on. It's great to be back. And uh, otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye.